morning, everyone. We have two passages to read this morning, and the first comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And the second passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 20. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power... God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Good morning, everyone. Is my microphone on? It is? Good. Well, we come to our second hot topic, and in simple terms, I want to call it sexual faithfulness, but let me pray as we come and think about what God's Word has to say to us this morning. Father, as we come to what is a very difficult topic, and one where there's great confusion, 
and there's often great pain, guilt, shame. Father, I pray that you would give me clarity but also compassion as I speak and may we all have a real sense of clear understanding about what your word says and a desire to honour you with our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by asking a very simple question, which is why this talk today? Uh, it's the school holidays and we had two weeks free. We thought we'd tackle some of the more difficult topics uh, that we're faced with in our culture. And how do we think as Christians? We looked last week at the very important one of mental health. It was an excellent talk by Andrew. Uh, today I've picked sexual faithfulness and there's many reasons why I decided to give this talk, but... They all relate in some way, shape or form to the cultural moment that we're now living in and the impact that this is having on us as Christians and as a church. And there's no doubt in the last 60 years we've lived through what many people call the sexual revolution that dates back to the 60s or the swinging 60s as it was often described. And it was six years ago since I gave my last major talk on this issue. And it's interesting, I was reflecting on the changes that have happened culturally in just six years and it's in, it was shocking in some ways the way the pace of change seems to have accelerated in these last six years on this topic to do with human sexuality. Let me just give you five different issues that struck me uh, as I was thinking about this in terms of from just the last year. The first is the unavoidable one, sexual assault, which is in the media. Um, you must be living under a rock if you're not aware of what's taken place in our society on this very important topic and the way men have assaulted women. And I've got up there two pictures, Brittany Higgins, the staffer who was raped in Parliament House, which was just profoundly astonishing that that would take place there. But for me personally, the picture on the right is a young woman named... Chanel Contos, she wrote up her story in response to hearing of Brittany Higgins. She realised at year 10 in high school when she went to a seminar on sexual consent that she had been sexually assaulted prior to that. She wrote it up and had over 200 young adult girls contact her with their stories of sexual assault uh, from typically elite private schools. I'm sure it's not just elite private schools where this is happening now. And you think, what has happened in our culture that boys think they have some right to sexually assault young ladies? But secondly, sexual activity. I was shocked this week to learn that there's been a normalising of sex outside marriage to the extent that high school girls will now have celebration parties for when they lose their virginity. And what you can see there on the screen is a loss of virginity cake uh, one parent was telling me that their daughter had showed that on Snapchat uh, for their friends celebrating the loss of virginity, and this was in one of our Anglican schools. Thirdly, sexual practices. Um, you might be wondering why Bluey the dog is up on the screen on a talk like this. Bluey the dog is a very friendly dog that's on ABC for kids. Very cute show, very good show apparently, and... Um, one ABC journalist who loved the show and was talking about how it had brought it to tears on a number of occasions lamented at the end of the article that there were, among other things, no queer or gender diverse dogs. And you thought, really? 
And what you see there is a normalisation of practices that you thought shouldn't have been even talked about with kids. Sexual viewing. We're all aware of the issue of porn in our culture and the pornification of our culture. The average age, the teens start to view pornography gets lower and lower with the advent of mobile devices. But what's striking is when you look at how sex scenes now dominate our screens through what we would call normal TV shows. Now, I've got up there Bridgerton. Uh, it's a kind of blockbuster series released on Netflix. No doubt if you have a Netflix subscription, it will come up on your homepage inviting you to watch. I think, uh, and it's a piece about historical Britain, 18th century, polite British society, coming of age, debutante balls, all that kind of nice romantic stuff. You could only describe it as pornography. And when I say that, I was doing a bit of research on the show, the makers of it are complaining that some porn sites are using the clips from the series on their porn sites now because that's how explicit the material is and they weren't concerned about the porn, they were just worried about loss of revenue. And then there's the question of sexual identity. Kids as young as 10 can have puberty blockers. At 16 in our country, transgender hormone therapy administered by the age of 18, gender reassignment. And it's worth noting that from a biological point of view and psychological point of view, uh, the young adult really doesn't mature until their early 20s. And I'll talk about a case that is just horrendous to think about further on in the message. And so there's just five issues, sexual assault, activity, practices, viewing identity, that's just gone crazy in the last six years. There was a famous lecture in 1983, the Templeton Prize Address, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was giving the address he was a famous Russian dissident, historian, philosopher, writer. And he was asked at his lecture the question, how did all the horrors of the Soviet communist regime come to pass? And he famously said, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. And you can't help but think those words are so applicable for where we are today in our overtly sexualized and I want to say very confused culture on this issue of sexuality. We have forgotten God and that's why we are where we are. And today I speak as a pastor. It's such an important complex issue and let me just say I'm going to speak a bit longer than I normally do because there's just so much to cover and tomorrow you'll get an email from me with all the stuff I couldn't cover along with some very helpful pastoral uh, helps articles, videos, contact places that you can use uh, because I take it these issues are ones that you may not want to talk about with me or the pastoral staff uh, in front of others and so I will email everyone a whole range of materials. It's a very important issue, it's a very complex issue, it's a very difficult issue and I do want to say I'm very conscious of wanting to be compassionate. Um, I'm not here to speak condemnation I hope my words are helpful, not hurtful, that they're filled with grace uh, that comes from the gospel. I know that in all five of those areas I've listed, there'll be people who are struggling, who are affected by them, who might be caught up in them. 
And if you aren't personally affected uh, today, I think all of us will have some experience in terms of our histories. And I know that there'll be children, grandchildren, siblings or friends who are also struggling or affected. It's, it's an issue that's affecting all of us. And there's three things I want to speak of this morning. Uh, God's plan for human sexuality from Genesis, which Leah read. Secondly, the original sexual revolution from 1 Corinthians 6. And then, very briefly, some wisdom for today. But firstly, God's plan for human sexuality. Let's have a think about what Genesis says to us. And it is an ancient book, but it's a profoundly important book because Genesis gives us the blueprint for the intentions of God in how he has made us. And what this world's about. This is not a world that was made uh, by blind forces of evolution. It's made by a personal God who is intelligent and has created us for a reason. And there is purpose and meaning behind that creation. Whenever you make anything, there'll be purpose and meaning that goes with it. And the first thing to note is God has created us. We're not accidents. We're purposeful. And meaning is intrinsic to us as people. We're meaning-making machines, you could say. Meaning-making creatures. And God is the creator and he's made us as embodied people in his image. And what I'm saying is there is a biological, a psychological and spiritual dimension to all of us that's united in a whole. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we are special, but it's worth noting, secondly, we are gendered. And no doubt there is a very small minority of people who struggle with a biological condition called intersex. But apart from that very small percentage, all of us are biologically, chromosomally, male or female. That's just how we're made. And the beautiful thing is, biologically, physiologically, chromosomally and anatomically, the male and the female are counterparts for each other. It's the way God has made us. There's a beauty and a wonder about, if I can say, the symmetry and the synergy that goes between the male and the female. It's quite profound. And as a part of that, you've got human sexuality that blends into that. And at our core, we are sexual beings because of our gendered nature. We are that. And we've got body, mind, soul, spirit united in one. And as I said, as a result, there is a meaning and purpose to us. And when you get to the end of Genesis chapter 1, it says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. And it's not just in the sense that that he's pleased with it, which he was, But it's good in the sense of there's a purpose for it. There's a meaning to it. It was all part of his purposes that he would create us a certain way. And part of that certain way is to be gendered sexual beings, male and female. We're not a mistake. We're not an accident. And I want to say... From the very beginning, sexuality is a good thing because it was created by God and there's a meaning and a purpose, not just to us as people who live under God, but to our sexuality. It's a very positive thing. Now, we didn't have the reading from Genesis chapter 2, but if you go to Genesis chapter 2, you've got the second part of the creation story where, in a sense, the lens zooms in and you see how Adam and Eve and humanity are created. 
Adam first, Eve second, and you get to the end and it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And it's a beautiful depiction. Uh, You see the man leaving the parents. There's a uniting of the husband and the wife together and you could only say it's being described, sex is being described here because they become one flesh. And it's broader than just, if I can say, sex here. There's the whole sense of which a married couple, their purpose is to become one. We learn later in the scriptures in Ephesians that we are a picture in marriage of the gospel. The church is the bride of Christ. And so it's this incredibly special and unique relationship within the creation that is to speak of Christ and the gospel. And then you get these beautiful words that close it out Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame and so in this relationship where you've got a husband and wife who are uniting as one a part of that is that there's a sexual union and there's this sense of shamelessness naked together and the purpose of sex I always say this to marriage couple is to unite a couple to assist in that process of them becoming one And becoming one flesh, in a way, no other activity has the power. And there is a profound power about sexual activity between a man and a woman as they literally become one physically, relationally, emotionally, you'd even say spiritually. We we are joined together in sex. And the power of it is it actually glues and enhances that relationship together. And it's why I'm positive about sex in marriage and within that boundary and the marriage of a man and a woman. And when you see the laws in the Old Testament, they were designed to protect the holiness of the people of God so that we would reflect God's holiness. And in the area of human sexuality and human relationships, they were designed to protect the sanctity of marriage because it was so important. It was a very foundational relationship within the creation of human society and so part of the laws of Israel were designed to protect that special relationship and so you've got laws outlining or outlawing sex outside of marriage and it prohibits uh, that in numbers of ways Uh, it prohibits homosexual activity amongst other things now when you get forward if I can fast forward to the New Testament and the Lord Jesus turns up And he begins to minister. He doesn't speak specifically about the issue of homosexuality. And people have often asked the question, so was he not against it? Well, in response, I'd say he ministered in Israel to Jews who knew this was forbidden and so didn't need to specifically teach on it. But at a general level, he continued to reaffirm it because he reaffirmed all of the laws of Israel that generally spoke of sexual immorality, which included, for any Jew, uh, the notion of homosexuality. And he also taught that marriage was an unchangeable creation by God and said we must not mess with it, if I can give you a colloquial version of it from Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 and 6. It's from God, it's between a man and a woman. And in other passages he talks about sexual sin with the use of the word pornea, which is a kind of cover-all term for all forms of sexual sin as mentioned in the Old Testament. Mark 7 is a classic. Which leads me to my second point, the original sexual revolution. I think we think that the sexual revolution is a new thing from the 60s. 
Uh, it's a very old thing. There was another sexual revolution that took place in the first century. And it was the Christian church within the context of the Greco-Roman Empire. It was a complete sexual revolution, but of the opposite sort. You see, sex in the Roman Empire uh, was a lot more liberal than what we currently experience, if you can even believe that, because we are very liberal today. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, which is a Greek city. It was governed by Romans, and you have a Greco-Roman influence. Uh, in terms of the particular issues to do with sexuality, Corinth was known as a city which was uh, right into sex. Uh, to Corinthianize was a saying in that day which spoke of, if I can say, just going for it in terms of sexual mores. Uh, typically, wives would only have sex with their husbands. Uh, it was a very misogynistic culture, it's worth noting, and because of that, the men would not let their wives have sex outside the marriage because they wanted to ensure that the kids that their wife had were theirs. But the men could go and do what they wanted. Uh, prostitution was rife, even in the religious temples, you would have temple prostitutes, uh, and you would just go and worship and have sex with these prostitutes. Uh, homosexual practice was normal, but particularly with men, uh, there was a thing called pedestry where older men would take younger men for their pleasures. Uh, they might be 16, 18 years of age when they first picked them up. I won't say much more, only to say it was a very common homosexual practice in the day. And that was men who would be married to women. And they would have these other younger men on the side. Uh, sex outside of marriage was not seen as particularly wrong. There was a very low bar in terms of sexual morality. And against that backdrop, Paul writes these words. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's nine categories of people that are mentioned here. Three of them relate to uh, issues to do with sexuality. Now, the first one, the sexually immoral, is actually the word pornos. Uh, there's two words for sexual immorality in the New Testament Greek. One is pornea, which is the cover over covering the cover-all phrase. And pornos was a word you could say a prostitute chaser. And it's used here in Corinth because you, I take it that's exactly what was happening with the men in Corinth. And it's worth saying it's a young church and I have no doubt that the men and the women who came to faith in Christ and were now following Christ would have had all of this background in their lives and the sexual liberties that I've just mentioned would have been absolutely their experience. And what he's saying to you, the congregation is, in that category, as well as six others, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, greedy, it's a pretty um, wide group of people, idolaters. I mean, anyone who gives their heart to anything but the Lord is an idolater. He says, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you're outside of the kingdom. And the categories relate to people who you would say persisted or were known by certain sinful or ungodly ways of life. 
I don't think he's referring to people who were struggling with certain sins yet were seeking to put them behind them. But rather those who lived in it, who were defined by it. And importantly, three different areas of sexual morality are mentioned here because you see for Paul, he wanted to introduce a new vision for sexual morality to the church. And it wasn't an optional thing, he's saying. It's an essential thing. You cannot enter the kingdom of God and keep carrying on the way you were, is what he's saying. Pornos, the prostitute chasers, the adulterers, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality. Earlier on in chapter 5, he just mentions pornea in general in terms of just any of the overarching areas of sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And he's saying for all of these areas, sexual immorality, adultery, homosexuality, you can't keep living like that. Now, I'm not going to speak uh, on any one of these issues in any depth at all. I will be giving some details about different issues and some further reading in my email out tomorrow. But what he's saying is sexual morality matters. You might ask why it is that women and homosexuality or lesbianism isn't referred to here. Uh, one of the reasons is it just wasn't that common because of the misogynistic environment. Uh, they just had far less capacity, license, but it did occur. And Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, and says, likewise, uh, it shouldn't happen. Now, why do I mention this? And I want to say it as gently as possible. Our culture has come to the place where it thinks that anything goes with sexuality. But Paul says anything doesn't go. There are real boundaries. And sex is this beautiful, special gift to bind marriages together and that then speak of the gospel. And it's this incredibly special gift for within that context and that alone. And it needs to be protected. And when we take sex out of that context, we trash what God has made and how God has created us. And that's why God has given us sex. It's to bind the husband and the wife together in this beautiful way. And it's why the Bible calls it sexual immorality when we live outside of that. And to live deliberately and persistently in this way will lead people to be excluded from the kingdom of God. And let me just say that as gently as possible, we need to take that to heart. We're talking about matters of eternity and heaven and hell. They're not light matters. And here's the thing, it was a complete revolution in the day of Paul. In a far more sexually liberal culture, he says, we cannot live this way because we are the people who are to reflect the holiness of God. And let me say, in that day, they were mocked and they were ridiculed and it was very costly. But they did it because they'd found Christ and they'd found life in him and I love what Paul says in verse 11. He said, and that is what some of you were. He knows they were the greedy, they were the idolaters, they were the ones who chased prostitutes. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. In other words, who you are is to control how you live. This is who you are now, he's saying. And I would say the same to us. This is who we are. And one of the problems is today 
is that the notion of who we are has been hijacked on this issue in a significant way by the gay lobby. And what it's done is it's redefined our identities as people in terms of our sexuality. Now, that's not an insignificant thing, our sexual identities, but what they've done is made it our primary identity. And so the way you primarily define people today is, are they LGBTQI or straight? And what it's done to us psychologically is we have, we've thought, okay, that's actually primarily who I am. And so therefore I have to live that out. And in a world that's forgotten God, that then dominates our understanding of who we are as people. And Paul says, actually, that's what some of you were. No, this is how you are to understand your identity. You're someone who is washed. In other words, you're clean in God's eyes. You've been washed and your sins have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. You're someone who's sanctified. And the word means you've been set apart for God's purposes. In other words, the the meaning for your life now is not about sexual pleasure. It's not about greed. It's not about idolatry. It's about honouring Christ. That's my goal. And yes, I might struggle with desires and identity confusion, but my goal now is to honour Christ. I've been set apart from him, for him, I've been, but I've also been justified. And it means I've been declared not guilty. And I love those three phrases together. You are clean, you are set apart, you are not guilty. Who are you? You're actually a love child of God. That's your primary identity. And so live that out. And that's why we are to live this life. And that's exactly what happened in the first century and the second century and the third century. The church was this light to the wonder of God and the gospel through in part how they lived and in part through the way they practiced sexual sexual purity. We've changed their identity. That's who we are now. But secondly, the reason why we live in a way that honours God and put sex only in the context of marriage between a man and a woman is because our bodies matter to God and how we use our bodies is in part how we honour God. So have a look at uh, verse 13 and verse 14. I've got 13 uh, up on the screen. So 12 and 13. You've got this interesting saying, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I'll not be mastered by anything. And what Paul is picking up here is a saying from the day which reflects a Greek Platonic way of thinking. Now, let me just unpack that. Um, Plato was one of the great Greek philosophers. You may have heard of him. Now, who's heard of a Platonic relationship? And do you know what that means? It's a relationship of the mind. Now, why do we call it a platonic relationship? Because Plato posited that, you see, there's, in terms of understanding yourself, you have the mind and you've got the body. Uh, what's superior is the mind. The body was irrelevant. It was kind of um, not significant. What you did with it was not important. And there was this kind of dualistic way of thinking about life. Mind, spirit, body, physicality. And a platonic relationship is one of the mind. And it was seen as far superior to a physical engagement. Now, they took that two ways. Um, The Stoics, which is where we get the word Stoicism from, were those who kind of put up with their bodies. And that's what it means to be Stoic. You kind of 
bear it when you go through tough times. The other reaction was to go, well, if my body doesn't matter, I'll just do what I want with it. And that's what you see here in verse 12. I've got the right to do anything. Don't tell me what to do with my body. Paul says, actually, but not everything's beneficial. Oh, but I have the right to do anything. Actually, Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. And then he says, verse 13, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. In other words, it's irrelevant what I put in. It's just going to be destroyed. Same for sex. doesn't matter what I do with my body sexually. The body's going to be destroyed. Who cares what happens and what I do? I can do what I want. And then he says, actually, no, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And he gives a very powerful illustration to say, using sex as an analogy for our relationship with Jesus. It is quite profound. I'll come to that in a moment. But the passage is saying, actually, our bodies matter. And I want you to just think about that because, you see, in the world we live in, you can trace the rise of sexual freedoms and sexual immorality to a lower view of the body and to an emergence of platonic dualistic thought that it's actually my mind that matters and my psychological perception of myself and my body actually is not that important. Now, that thinking is impacting all manner of things from euthanasia, uh, abortion, through to sexuality uh, and gender identity questions. As a society, we've done away with the notion that God has created us, that our bodies and our persons are united physically, mentally, emotionally, all one. And in doing that and forgetting God, we've said that marriage between a man and a woman and a family are no longer central to the purposes of God and how we're made. And so you can do what you want with your bodies is that where we've arrived in our culture. And let me give you two examples. Uh, one is... just. Let me get something. And I want to say this as gently as possible, uh, but it speaks of the confusion that has arisen in the transgender uh, debate. Last year in December, there was an article that appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald about a legal court case in Britain. And it was about a girl named Kira Bell. And she was referred to the British health system and in particular the Gender Identity Development Service at the age of 15 after a very traumatic childhood. And she began actively to question her gender identity according to the judgment. Her first consultation was at the age of 16 and with a number of appointments over 21 months, after three sessions, she was put on puberty blockers. At an age of 17, began taking testosterone. At the age of 20, had a double mastectomy. But in the following years, she says this, I started to realise that the vision I had as a teenager of becoming male was strictly a fantasy and that it was not possible. I was being perceived as a man by society, but it was not enough. I felt like a fraud and I began to feel more lost, isolated and confused than when I did before my transition. Now 23, she brought a case against the National Health Service in Britain, claiming it should have challenged her wishes more extensively before commencing treatment. And last year in December, the England's High Court of Justice delivered a verdict in her favour. Now why do I raise that? Without much 
pushing the separation of psychology and biology took place. And it was a denial of the biology. Now, I've got no doubt there's significant psychological issues there and my heart goes out to that uh, poor person. But that's what's happened. We've separated out how we think about our bodies and our minds. But the problem is God's created us as whole beings, biologically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. We're all one. And yes, there are great challenges that people go through. But the answer is to not deny our bodies and the way we're made. I'll give you another example. And it's particularly for those who think you can have sex without commitment. Because we currently live in the grip of what people are calling the Tinder hookup age. Where you can have your Tinder app on your phone and you can swipe right or left. I don't actually know how it works, but that's all I've been told. Um, I, it's not on my phone, I'll just put that on the record. Um, <laughs> I mean, I am the senior minister, imagine having that there. Um, it's okay, Kath. <laughs> But I mention it because in our culture today, you have this perception that you can have sex without commitment of marriage and it won't affect you. Just have as many hookups as you want. It won't, hurt, it won't hurt you. But the problem is it does. But you see, the lie is this. You can do what you want with your body. It won't affect you as a person. But science continues to discover new evidence of the profound interconnectivity between the body and the person. Uh, there is a chemical in their body called oxytocin. This chemical is released when a mother nurses a baby at her breast and it stimulates caring and nurturing. It's called the attachment hormone. Now imagine the surprise when scientists also discover that oxytocin is also released during sex, especially in women. Consequently, the desire to attach to another person we have sex with is not just a psychological issue, but it's a biological reality. And you see, that's the way God has made us. And it's why sex has this profound, unifying impact on a married couple. Chemically, there's things happening in our bodies to make us want to bond with the other person. Now, that's for the woman. It's interesting, with the man, the same holds true. They are flooded with another chemical called vasopressin, which is similar to oxytocin and has a similar impact. Vasopressin has been called the monogamy monocule. And so man and woman, husband and wife, when they have sex, the oxytocin, the vasopressin is released to assist them bond. What do you reckon happens to people who just have multiple bondings with multiple partners and you've got all this chemical being released in their body? Well, I'll tell you what you have. You've got the culture we've got today where you've got young adults depressed, besides themselves, unable to relate because they're leaving a part of themselves with another person every time they have sex. And friends, it is a mess in our society. And this hookup culture is destroying relationships because we've forgotten God and how we've been made and what sex is for. And what's profound is, Paul knew that. He says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And you see, this is the profound thing. Um, Sin never works. Never does. And it destroys us personally and impacts and destroys our relationship with God. And as Paul says, when you sin sexually, it actually destroys your own body. And that's exactly what we're discovering with modern science. And friends, my wisdom for us today is this. Um, We need to be a church that's not freaked out by talking about these issues because we will have people who are struggling. And we need to support and help them as they seek to live out their call from God to honour him with their bodies. Even as they might stumble and fall along the way. And we need to be a church that helps people up, not pushes them down. And we don't need particular special categories for sinners, those who are normal, those who sin sexually. We're all sinners. But we also need to all hold on to the biblical vision for the good and human flourishing when it comes to human sexuality and realise it is this gift of God to bind a husband and a wife together in marriage in a way nothing else has the power to do. And to protect that high calling on sex. And to live pure lives. And not abuse those boundaries. Go outside those boundaries. And if we're single, to remain single and celibate. And if you're caught up in sexual immorality in whatever form and having sex outside of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman, I call you gently to stop. This is what the the scriptures are saying to us. The most important thing for us to do is to honour God with our bodies. You may be confused. You may want to talk with someone. You may need help. We'd love to do that. And as I said, I'm going to email everyone out tomorrow. Uh, Some helpful resources, including email addresses for staff if you'd like to get in contact with any of us about it. And if you're new here today to the Christian faith and what I've said seems strange or weird, I'd encourage you just to keep coming because at the heart of what we're talking about is there's a God who's made us wonderfully but he's also redeemed us powerfully through the Lord Jesus Christ and we are people who've been washed clean of all of our mistakes of which we have many. And we've been set aside to know him and to honour him and to serve him And one day, because of Christ's blood shed for us on the cross, we will one day be with him in glory. And so we want to reflect that in all of our life, including how we use our bodies. And so may we be that church here. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the way you've made us. We're not accidents. We are special in your sight. We're also redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Give us a conviction and a compassion on this issue to hold forth to the moral vision of Scripture and for human flourishing, for the wonder of sexuality and for its special place in marriage between a man and a woman. And if we're struggling, give us strength to honour you and to turn to you and give us clarity and conviction from your Scriptures, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.